Where do you stand on the word moist? Oh, that's a great, great question. How do you feel about it? I stand, usually I stand on the middle of it because it feels like the safest ground. (laughs) (laughs) Right on the dot? (laughs) Yeah, right on the tittle. Yeah. No, I think it is overrated in the sense of a word that grossness. sounds bad. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, there are worse words out there. Yeah, well, I, that was my follow-up question. Are there any other words that, that really give you the ick? Because I'm with you. I don't think moist is that bad. Mm, I don't know, like, bile or... Sure. I don't know. I guess, I guess words, yeah. Words that make me think of, like, organs, like, internal things. Yeah. No, you know what, Emily? I'm, I know exactly oh. what word bothers me. Here we go. Whenever anybody talks about my little doohickeys and any of those actual words that you use, I cringe. I can't what? think about it. What? Like the word testicles what? or like gonads. Oh. Like I can't okay. like. Gotcha. Like I just, I just, I get, I get sensitive. I've never in my life heard them referred to as doohickeys. <laughs> you know, my little doohickeys. Because <laughs> that's just the thing. A doohickey is just the thing. <laughs> yeah, but these are my little doohickeys. <laughs> okay. End this right now. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Emily Moyers and Kyle Imperator take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Hey everybody, welcome to Butter No Parsnips. I'm Kyle Imperator. And I'm Emily Moyers. Oh, I just realized in our last episode, I was supposed to introduce myself first. Anyway. That's all right. Do you want to switch it now? <laughs> Do you want to introduce me first and I'll introduce you yeah. second? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. This is Kyle Imperator. And this is Emily Moyers. Beautiful. <laughs> and today... Emily's got a word for me. I, I was trying to work word that around, you. but I couldn't. No, it was good. Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I well, do what have you a word. got for me? It's a pretty good word. Kyle, your word this week is buteracious. <gasps> B-U-T-Y-R-A-C-E-O-U-S. Oh. Buteracious. What the heck? It's got a real great oh. sound to it. <laughs> it does have a great sound to it. Buteracious. Buteracious. I feel like this is just something uh, uh, an adjective Paula Dean has used for one of her meals. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get my buteracious lasagna out there. Kyle, Y'all. you're on the right track. <laughs> no, wait, really? <laughs> You might be able to get there. Oh, that's insane. <laughs> oh, okay. Everybody, wow. hey, let's get the band queued up. I think Kyle's going to get there, folks. I mean, immediately I thought the Asia's part makes me think of like dinosaurs. <laughs> like it's a <laughs> like it's an era in history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I guess that is not the case. It's not an era in history. No, okay, it's not the buteracious okay. period. <laughs> So, Emily, uh, just why don't you tell me, is this an adjective? It is an adjective. It is you an adjective. You are correct. And I guess the language of origin is Georgian, based on, <laughs> based based on, on Paula Dean. Oh. <laughs> no, it formed in English, but from Latin roots. I mean, does it have something to do with butter? It does, Kyle. Oh, my God. You I, okay. are right there. 
Oh god. I mean, honestly, you have it already. But can I but, can I ask for my one word hint to sure, get me over the, the line? The one word hint is consistency. Oh, so I mean, does butyracious just mean buttery? Yes, you got oh it. Oh my god, that's insane. <laughs> that is exactly it. <laughs> I cannot believe. Yeah, wow. I mean, you had it from minute one. <laughs> I, you know, I just a complete guess. <laughs> wow. But I mean, it's kind of there because like buter is not far from butter and it's just buteracious. That's it. Yeah. I, honestly, I thought it would have been like some sort of alcohol, the like butyl or butyl. Sure. Bu- yeah. Butylacious means butylacious. Like, ready to explode at any minute. <laughs> I've been butylated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so butyracious, I mean, we'll talk about the etymology, but it is essentially just butter and aceous. Wild. So it it formed in the uh, mid-1600s. The root of the word, the buter part, comes from the Latin word butyrum, B-U-T-Y-R-U-M, which meant butter. And that was actually borrowed from an ancient Greek word, butyron, and that word also meant butter, and it was a combination of the ancient Greek words bous, meaning ox or cow, and tyros, meaning cheese. Oh, what? They had their own word for cheese, but they had to combine words to make butter? (laughs) Butter? I guess cheese came first. I'm sorry. And they're calling butter ox cheese? Ox cheese. <laughs> I, I think something so. went wrong in ancient Greece, Emily. <laughs> I mean, there was some kind like of farm accident. Based on the sorts of things we've uncovered in this podcast, a lot of things went wrong yeah, in ancient Greece. You're right. Greece. You're right. <laughs> in any case, an English writer who we'll talk about in a sec took that Latin mm-hmm. word buterum and appended the Latin suffix aceus. A-C-E-O-U-S. In Latin, it's just A-C-E-U-S with no O. And it is used to adjectivize words. It basically means of the nature of or having the qualities of. That's a really good suffix. I feel like it should be used more often it for is. adjectives. Well, I mean, you've, you've mentioned one already, but can you think of any aceous words, Kyle? I mean, all I can think of is Cretaceous. Yes. Um, spacious is not the same. No. <laughs> Crustaceous. Is the Crustacea- same. Crustaceous? Yep. Emily, I've never heard of that. Is that just like, like, a, like a crab? Yeah. The suffix is primarily used in the fields of biology and botany and zoology and sure. medicine. Sure. And medicine. Yeah. And it is, in fact, in medicine that the word butyraceous was formed. I'm scared. <laughs> Don't be scared, Kyle. We're just going to talk about blood right now. <laughs> oh, no. That's my other least favorite word. <laughs> oh, is it? yeah, it's true. Uh, people who faint at the uh, sound of blood the turn off of now. Blood? <laughs> because the rest of this episode is just going to be us making squelching noises. <laughs> But yes, the word butyraceous formed in a medical treatise, which was originally published in Latin because the 1600s was that era where uh, British academic types were just really into Latin. Yeah. They were like, no one can read this. Good. Yeah. Really (laughs) superior about it. The treatise was called De Ortu et Natura Sanguinis, which meant on the origin and nature of blood by one Dr. John Bett. B-E-T-T. Kyle, do you know what blood is uh, made up of? Do I know what blood is made of? I assume blood is made up of... Yeah, uh, I knew I wasn't going to get a real answer. (laughs) Carbonated strawberry sauce. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, you got it. No, it's 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 got plasma, yep. and then it's got um, well, hemoglobin and whatever white blood cells are, hypoglobin, <laughs> hip, hypoglobin. I mean, you could just say red blood cells and white blood cells. But <laughs> I mean, I don't see color, Emily. <laughs> Kyle, get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, you got it. It is, it is a little more than half plasma and then a little bit of white blood cells and platelets and then a little platelets. less than half red blood cells. So Dr. John Bett was... One of the doctors who was kind of figuring that out, basically. Oh, okay. And he was building on the works of another doctor, William Harvey, who we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode. Mm -hmm. But the way that Dr. Bett decided to explain how blood worked was to compare it to milk. Oh. Yeah. Basically, he says... I'm going to paraphrase here because there wasn't really a concise quote to sum it up. Uh But he says that, you know, milk is made up of three parts. Buterum, butter, serum, which means whey, the liquid part of milk, Uh and caseum, which means curds or the solid part that you strain out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, it's the same with blood. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, There's the buttery part, the liquidy part, and the curdy part. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. Worst, I don't know, adult to child doctor's dictionary ever. (laughs) Yeah, he's just trying to make it make sense in simple terms. What can everybody understand? Milk. Milk. (laughs) It's 1630-something. What's the simplest terms I can put this in? Uh, I'm sorry, ma'am. You're trying to tell me about the French and Indian War right now, but can you tell me in terms of milk? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Uh, In any case, soon after that Latin text was published, because remember, all of that was written in Latin. (laughs) Right. It was sort of translated slash summarized in English in a scientific journal called Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society. Have you ever heard of this journal, Kyle? Um, I mean, I feel like it's got enough buzzwords in it that I've probably heard of a lot of things <laughs> that sound like it. But <laughs> yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure Kyle, I'm a, you're skirting I'm a... around this. Do you owe them dues? <laughs> Listen, you know, I stopped paying a couple years back and they've been <laughs> calling me ever since. <laughs> so the reason I thought you might have heard of it is Philosophical Transactions started publishing in 1665, making it the first exclusively scientific journal journal ever and was still publishing in 2010 making (gasps) it the longest running scientific journal ever that's amazing it is i assume still in latin in 2010 (laughs) (laughs) no no they were in english the latin text was summarized in english in this journal oh gotcha 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 Yes. Um, why did they close? Uh, well, I assume because the, uh, you owed them so much money, they couldn't yeah. stay afloat. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no, boy. I don't actually know why they stopped publishing. I was trying to find that on their website, but uh, well, I guess is they their were... website a GeoCities website? <laughs> <laughs> Twenty ten. I guess it would have been just a Wix. I don't know. <laughs> but in any case, this uh, particular quote that I have is from Volume Three, published in sixteen sixty nine. I couldn't find 
an author. The journal didn't like cite any writers. They was just like, this is the Royal Society just text at large. <laughs> we as a society deem this fact. Yes. But they said at the at the front of this article, they said they were summarizing Dr. Betts writing. Gotcha. And they say, quote, the author endeavors to show that milk, italicized, or something <laughs> analogous to it, is the oh. universal nourishment of all living oh, creatures and God. the immediate and whole matter of blood, italicized. Oh, Whence and from the three parts whereof, vis-a-vis the buteraceous Cirrus and Caseus, and their various concoction in the stomach <laughs> and constitution in the veins, he would deduce the different nature of the humors and spirits composing the blood. As from the different quantity and quality of these, he would derive the whole business of health and sickness and the method of cure. Just so many bad things there, you know? <laughs> Just the idea that the whole matter of blood is something that we've got to get around to fixing is. <laughs> I mean, it's 1669. <laughs> they got to work all this stuff out. How do we replace all this blood with milk? <laughs> the, the life nourishment. <laughs> something everyone can understand. But yes, they translated the Latin buterum serum and caseum into the buteraceous Cirrus and Caseus, and that is where we get the word buteraceous. So Kyle, as I mentioned earlier, John Bett was building on the works of a doctor named William Harvey, who also spent a lot of time studying the nature of blood and the circulation system. I think a lot of what we understand about the circulation system came from William Harvey. Wow. I mean, so that's he's great. Like, yeah. John Betts' treatise, the one where he's talking about the milk and stuff, contained a report on an autopsy that William Harvey had performed oh. in 1635. Oh. Mm -hmm. And the article in Philosophical Transactions also spent a lot of time talking about that autopsy as well. It was an autopsy of a man named Thomas Parr, also known as oh. Old Tom Parr. Old Tom Parr, huh? Old Tom Parr was called that because he was reputed to have died at the age of 152. <gasps> no! 152? Yeah. What are you doing? Cutting this guy open. Leave him be. <laughs> no, he died. I don't care. We should be, I, I don't know, shellacking him and, <laughs> and traipsing him around town. Don't cut him open. Well, they did traipse him around town. <laughs> oh, no. Did they cut him open and instead of blood, it was powdered milk? <laughs> <laughs> no, although I think he did like describe his lungs as being a milky white color. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so Thomas Parr, oh, born Parr. in the rural county of Shropshire, allegedly in the year 1483. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and just mm -hmm. a reminder, he died in 1635. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. Definitely, definitely allegedly born in the year 1483. Yeah. Just a couple quick facts about him. He got married at around 80 years old, oh, had a God. son and daughter, both of whom died in infancy. But then Wait, he, he had also. A son and daughter at 80? Oh, after 80. He got married oh, at 80. God. <laughs> Supposedly. And then he also had an illegitimate child at the age of 100. I just feel like any child after 80 is immediately illegitimate. <laughs> said, said the same thing. I said, I said he impregnated a woman at 100. And said, said, I think that shouldn't be allowed. 
It should be, I don't even care if that woman was a hundred. It should be illegal for a man to impregnate a woman when he's a hundred. <laughs> yeah, according to Dr. Harvey's autopsy, Tom Parr lived on a diet of, quote, sub-rancid cheese and oh, milk in every form, God. coarse and hard bread, and oh. small drink, generally sour whey. On this sorry fare, but living in his home, free from care, did this poor man attain to such a length of days? He's like that old woman who outlived three of her doctors by drinking four Dr. Peppers a day. (laughs) (laughs) He's like that guy that doctors hate him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Doctors hate me, and it's mostly because my body's cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Sub-rancid cheese. You said sub-rancid? Sub-rancid cheese. What does sub-rancid mean? Like almost rancid? Or um, like less than, like like it is at a level lower than rancid? (laughs) Yeah. On the rancidity scale, it only ranks a seven. You need to be an eight and a half. Yeah. But I guess the theory was that like he lived in the countryside and didn't have any like major responsibilities so he just lived and lived i I mean good for him i mean somebody must have taken care of him especially for that era i mean he lived like that's like eight lifetimes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he became sort of a local legend and in 1635 he was discovered by an earl who was like passing through town (laughs) And the Earl said, sir, what do you do for a living? (laughs) Get older. (laughs) Yeah. So the Earl was like just really intrigued and he brought Tom Parr back to London with him and like presented him to the king. Wow. King, look at this old, old, very old man. Wow. This is like what we do on social media when we just find a stranger that we're like, look at this weird guy and just give them an Instagram account. Well, and then he became like an attraction in London for a hot second. But then like he was living more lavishly in London. He was like Uh eating good food and drinking wine. And there was like more pollution in London. And literally he died within weeks of going there. Oh, my God. So funny. Yeah. You can take a man out of subrancid milk, but you can't take the subrancid milk out of the man. (laughs) Wow. Um, I mean, that's kind of like, I would say, some sort of international treaty they're breaking there. You know, some kind of war crime. (laughs) They allowed this man to die. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of sum up there, obviously, (laughs) that man did not actually live 152 years just in case anyone's in doubt are you kidding me that guy did a whole autopsy and everything emily (laughs) he counted the rings in his bones i'm sure well i do i just have one more like real quick quote from that autopsy (laughs) please i mean (laughs) so he's like report this is just on like the first page of the autopsy he's just like initial thoughts quote The body was muscular, the chest hairy, and the hair on the forearms still black. The legs, however, were without hair and smooth. 
Next paragraph. The organs of generation were healthy. The penis neither retracted nor extenuated, nor the scrotum filled with any serous infiltration, as happens so commonly among the decrepit. Oh. Emily, remember that conversation we had at the beginning of the episode? About growth swords? That, yeah, I'm getting that feeling again. Truly? Makes me Just uncomfy. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah, we're not entirely I mean, sure. Good for him. Um, <laughs> we're not entirely sure why the world believed that he lived that long. It's been posited that his birth year was confused with his grandfather's birth year. Wow. So that's a possibility. Crazy confusion to make. Also, though, so when we were recording your episode, Cavill, you mentioned Catherine Parr. I did. Are they related? So they're not, but Catherine Parr's father was named Thomas Parr, and he was born in 1483. So I'm wondering if that was also a source of confusion. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Are you yeah. sure they weren't the same person? No, because her dad was Sir Thomas Parr. He was like somebody who was known, and he died in the 1500s. He didn't live to 152. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in any case, we're not entirely sure how old Thomas Parr actually was. He was probably older than average when he died, but that really just means he was older than 76. <laughs> it doesn't mean much. Um, in the interest yeah. of wrapping up Buteracious, Kyle. Yes. Most of the usages I could find were as part of the trio Buteracious, Cirrus, and Caseus, mm-hmm. almost always talking about either blood or milk. Awful, <laughs> frankly. The OED did list one figurative usage of Buteracious. How? How? By the American poet. James Russell Lowell, in his 1870 book, My Study Windows, he uses the idiom, uh, someone knows on which side his bread is buttered, and then refers to that idiom as, quote, the buteracious principle. I love that. (laughs) Truly so good. (laughs) So by that definition, this is a buteracious podcast, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, beautiful. Buteracious can also be used to mean producing butter. The OED has a couple of quotes from British explorer Richard Francis Burton of him saying things like buteracious nuts or trees or things like that. Oh, like peanut butter. Uh, Sure. Like peanuts are buteracious in that you can make (laughs) butter butter out of them. Sure. But Kyle, aside from peanut butter, I want to know what you think is buteracious. Mm. Can you use this word in a sentence? I'm positive that I can. Uh, (laughs) I'm positive that you can too. Just because I've got such a lengthy history with butter. (laughs) Which is why Kyle will definitely not live to 152. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm looking for my blood to be separated Butter, whey, and curds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, buteracious. Emily, someday I plan on going to Paris, France, and purchasing myself one of their famously buteracious croissants. Oh, beautiful, Kyle. 
Buteracious Kyle. <laughs> Buteracious Kyle <laughs> is the worst version of gross Kyle. <laughs> yeah, but your just final all oiled form. up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your final form is Buteracious. <laughs> Buteracious Kyle, Kyle. Oh, like an God. oiled up dinosaur <laughs> from the from the Buteracious period. <laughs> period. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Kyle. lovely Emily. I mean, I I never wanted butter and blood to be. <laughs> On the same level, yeah, medically. Inexorably linked. Yeah, but here we are, and I've accepted it. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, now that you've accepted that, do you want to mm-hmm. play a little game? I would love to. Kyle, your game today is called Who Wants to Live Forever? Oh, me. Okay. Do so I Kyle, win? <laughs> yeah, you win. Uh, so Kyle, Thomas Parr reputedly said that the key to long life was, quote, keep your head cool by temperance, keep your feet warm by exercise, rise <laughs> early, go soon to bed, and if you want to grow fat, keep your eyes open and your mouth shut. So funny. Grow <laughs> fat? What? If uh, Fat meaning, meaning prosperous, I think. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I was like, uh, you can't grow fat keeping your mouth shut. That's how you get no, fat. he's like, if you want to succeed in life. I'm glad that he had his own almanac. (laughs) (laughs) But Kyle, throughout history, people have sought many other supposed sources of long life or immortality. So the way this game is going to work, I'm going to give you a group of people and you've got to tell me what mythical life giver they were searching for. Okay. All right. So Kyle, the Greek alchemists, particularly those of the hermetic tradition, Mm. were searching for what? Oh, like, is this a thing or like a... It uh, is. It is a thing that could have given them immortal life. Oh, they were looking for um, the Philosopher's Stone. Correct. Ha ha. Yeah. Do you get the... uh the bend yes, of it? Yes, yes, I get the bend of it. All right, that's good, because you won't get this next one at all. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the ancient Chinese alchemists, particularly oh. Taoists in the Han Dynasty, were looking mm-hmm. for what? You won't know this one, Kyle. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess um, uh, these are ancient Taoists. Um, yeah. I'm going to guess... Uh, uh, some s- sacred statue. Uh, no, it was a pill of immortality. Oh, yeah, it was like a it was like an elixir, but in pill form. So they wanted to be red pilled, is what you're telling yes, me. Yes, they, wa- they were searching for the red pill. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Golden Age explorers in the Caribbean, including Ponce de Leon, were looking for what? Oh, I know this one. You gotta. It's the it's the star feature of yeah, um, of oh, the best Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> uh, the Fountain of Youth, Emily. It is the Fountain of Youth. What were you gonna say? It was the star feature of. I was gonna say it was the star feature of. Uh, what's that? What's that? <laughs> so you didn't teen even know. <laughs> novel. I was trying to think of it. Um, it's uh, uh, oh, Tuck Everlasting. How to? Yes, Tuck yeah. Everlasting. I was thinking of that too. Yeah. All right, Kyle, last one. The Knights Templar and possibly Nazi occultists were looking for what? They, I assume they were the same people. <laughs> um, they and were looking possibly for... possibly Indiana Jones. Oh, I mean, are, 
is it like the crystal skull or something like that <laughs> no different indiana jones movie <laughs> oh um what was the first one they were looking nope. for what was the second one they nope. were looking for the dead sea tupperware right <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you another hint. This this object came out of Arthurian legend, if that helps. Oh, that could help. Uh, was it the sword and the stone? No, something that gave you immortality, Kyle. Ah, right. Yes. Was it one of those frogs that you licked? I really can't stand you. <laughs> <laughs> immortality in the Arthurian legend. Monty Python was also looking for it, if that helps. Oh, it's the Holy Grail. It's the Holy Grail. Yep. The Nazis? Possibly. That's. It's not a, it's a surefire thing. I mean, I feel like we could just throw on, and then we're going to steal the Holy Grail. <laughs> and everybody would be like, yeah, they suck. <laughs> uh, well, we got there in the end, Kyle. <laughs> we got there in the end. Well, Emily, to end this episode, I feel like we didn't touch on the obvious butyraceous thing, uh-huh. which is our podcast, Butter No That's Parsnips. Right. Where can they find those butyraceous parsnips, yeah, Kyle? Yeah. Those of you at home, remember to find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really like today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout-out either on social media or right here on the podcast. Thank you so much to all of you. You help us make what we make. It's five stars, Kyle. Which, which is which is butyracious and napaform episodes. <laughs> That's right. And with that, I have been Emily Moyers. And I've been Kyle Imperator. And this has been Butter No Parsnips. Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.